Hi, my name is Melanie B. Highland from Norman, Oklahoma, and I belong to the Tornado Alley chapter of Sisters Siblings in Crime, a national organization dedicated to education for mystery and crime writers of all genders. The new Tornado Alley chapter sponsors this podcast to support and promote local and regional writers, whether they are well-established or emerging. Today's interview is being recorded February the 7th, 2022, in the Maker Lab studio of Pioneer Library's Central Branch in Norman, Oklahoma. The date currently set for publication is Friday, May 13th, 2022. Our guest writer today is Joe Moore of Edmond. Joe began writing for publication in college and has published widely in such areas as science, politics, firearms, and engineering. Joe grew up in Oklahoma and received training as an engineer while serving in the Army during the Vietnam War. After the war, he formed a structural engineering company, which took him all over the world, from the Amazon River to the New York Zoo. And throughout his engineering career, Joe continued to publish as a freelance writer. Now that he is retired, he devotes his days to grandchildren and his nights to writing exciting action novels. He has a rousing military fiction series coming out, continuing the story from his high-action thriller Ghost Crew, The Beginning, which is now available as an ebook on Amazon. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Uh, would you be- like to begin by telling us about your current project without, of course, giving away the plot? It's the second book in the Ghost Crew series. I plan a total of six. It's a very simple premise. A young couple out of the military buy a house which they intend to... Uh, not to flip, but to live in, but they intend to improve the house. But they find themselves victims of a very mysterious and apparently evil group of people who attempt to force them to sell the house back. The police are of no assistance, and the... They approach a group of their friends and uh, co-workers from the military to take care of the problem themselves. And the problem is to discover who the good guys are because two other groups of individuals get involved and then they find that military intelligence has gotten involved so they have to figure out who the good guys are in time to one keep their house and two keep their breathing privileges <laughs> well uh a- after reading it um i i i had to look for who the good guys were too when i as a reader so that was that was part of the fun of it, it it's a very exciting book with some 
fast-moving action and combat scenes and thoughtful dialogue, which I would like to talk more about later, mm-hmm. and very vivid characters. I think you've done a good job of, of setting us up for for reading, and, and I hope okay. you brought a, a section to read. We'll, we'll give everyone a little sample of how this, how this book moves, because it moves fast and moves hard. <laughs> yes, I thought I would do the first two scenes. It's only a few pages of the very first chapter. This is beginning the book. Jen smiled as she pushed the little button on the visor of her new SUV. From a half a block away, the garage door began to open. Now, that door had been the first step in renovating the old house, and in just a week, the powered door's convenience had really become apparent. She turned up onto the steep driveway, but slowed when she noticed that the overhead light bulb had burned out. She carefully eased into the dark garage. With Halloween next week, she would remind Jerry to check out the outdoor lights, too. She got out, and as she closed the vehicle's door, the huge man silently stepped from the deep shadow of the old refrigerator behind her. In one fast motion, he grabbed her hair with one hand, reached his other hand around to grab her crotch, and lifted her off the ground. He pushed her into the side of the SUV and leaned his entire weight against her, trapping both arms. Jen couldn't breathe, and as she struggled for a second, her left shoe fell off. The man jerked Jen's head sideways and roughly pressed her cheek onto the vehicle's roof. His deep voice was deadly soft. Not a sound. Jen's eyes widened. She could not see his face, but she somehow knew that he was smiling at her terror. He leaned his head forward to whisper in her ear, Sell the house. Tell Jerry to take one of those offers. Or the next time, bitch. He slowly licked along her stretched neck. Next time, I take you with me. He suddenly released her. She fell to the ground, sobbing, gasping for breath, as he disappeared. Jen didn't know how long she was on the floor before she was able to get up and stumble through the laundry room into the kitchen to find Jerry. Next scene. No, Mr. Gordon, I do not think your wife is lying. The burly desk sergeant took a deep breath and tried to choose his words carefully. Now, I understand how you feel. The hell you do! Dispense with the damn psychology and deal with this issue. Jerry was fuming. After a muffled sigh, Sergeant McManus spoke quietly. All right. Now, I've had two officers inspect the property, and they find no evidence of anything out of the ordinary. Glancing at Jennifer, he continued, Your wife cannot provide any substantive information about her attacker. While he did apparently scare the hell out of both of you, from Mrs. Gordon's description of the events, the attacker was unarmed and he did not actually do any physical harm. And how do we keep him from doing that in the future? 
Jerry was inwardly seething at the sergeant's seemingly unconcerned attitude, and that snappy question revealed just how difficult it was becoming for Jerry to remain civil. McManus turned a bit to his left and tried a different tack. Now, Mrs. Gordon, are you sure the man did not say anything else? Did he mention money? You know, the fact that you two are quite wealthy could be what is behind his actions. No, he didn't say anything. Now, I've told you everything, and we most certainly have not advertised our lottery winnings. We are smarter than that. <laughs> Jen was beginning to feel as exasperated as her husband. McManus tried to head that off and again spoke softly. But so far, now based on your account, the only things that the man could be prosecuted for, and that's if we could find him, are relatively minor, unless there's something more to this situation that you haven't told me, such as perhaps an extortion attempt? A significant pause indicated his natural suspicion, but the couple ignored it and just stared at him. There really is not much I can do. The couple stood up. McManus tried again, but now he just seemed patronizing. Simply use common sense. Install lights and a good monitored burglar alarm, and my advice is to... The couple walked out without a word. So, that's why they have to go on the hunt for these culprits themselves. And and I think we all understand, and we, we understand the police point of view, too. You know, they, they don't have anything to go on. So, yes. what are, you know, what can they do? Um... Anyway, so I, I think that gives our listeners a good taste and really draws draws them in to a pretty exciting story. But I think there's some things, some themes I'd like to touch on that, that I believe elevate the novel. It's not just a thriller. It is a thriller. It's always exciting. Bang, bang, bang. There's lots of things going on. And uh, and, and I think you, you're... Um, Action and violent scenes are are just done very well and Thank you. and read so well, uh, but <clears throat> the the characters who are who who are on the defensive and and they've got you know they've got to do something you know they've got to do something to solve this mystery and find out what's what's going on and. They, as as they amass their crew and and get people gather people together that that they know is going is going to help them. These people are going to help them. Then they have a lot. They have some discussions that are very frank about how how violence um, challenges their challenges their values, their core values. And so I think that that this is a, a deepening of the idea of thriller. It's not, you know, these these are n- not comic book characters. These are people with with souls and values and uh, and even if they have to do something violent or they have to lie to someone they care about that, and it, it yes. violates their. So, I'd like you to talk a little bit about uh, some of your characters' dilemmas, uh, or just about that theme and how you bring that into the novel. Mm-hmm. Military veterans 
all face that when they get out of service. They will find that what the military has taught them in terms of developing a sense of of personal honor, of dignity, of responsibility is often challenged in the civilian world. It's not difficult to find situations that would be challenging to to any veteran's moral code. And that's all I did here was attempt to come up with reliable and practical problems, situations that virtually any veteran would face under the same, under similar circumstances. Uh, it was not difficult to do, but it was a bit difficult to to set up the description in order to get the idea across to non-veterans. Um, I think that was the hardest part of it. Oh, that's that's really interesting. And as I recall, that these characters they read philosophy. They're they're educated. They're um, this is a, it's intellectual and emotional. Yes. When when they make decisions, um, well, one thing that you said to me uh, one time was that, and and I think this touches on a theme in in your novel that anyone who has been to war never actively wants to go back. And no sane person would ever want war anywhere near American soil. And, you know, we're talking about American veterans, Americans. And um, I, I think that this, this ties into your novel, that, that there's some dystopian things that happen in the novel. These are not things you want to happen, but as with any thriller... Terrible things do happen, and um, I just thought maybe you would comment on on that. I'm going to clarify one thing. Any responsible veteran would go back to war if it were necessary to protect family, home, or their country. Sure. But none of them want actively to go back. Anyone who has seen the horrors of war are affected in a way that's very difficult to describe to non-veterans, but essentially it changes, it changes the outlook of what can happen. Most people don't think of war as being something that, since it's never happened on American soil other than the Civil War, most people think of it as a, a, a foreign thing, a highly unlikely thing, but it really isn't. So that's what I, that's what I picked up on in, and put into their attitudes. Make sense? Of course. Yeah. Uh, although, I mean, you know, I say yes, but of course I don't have that kind of experience. But I, I think that you you help us understand 
where the characters are coming from who have had that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, on a on just kind of a, a lighter note, let's go back and and talk a little bit about. Uh, about the things that made you a writer. I mean, you, you've got all these ideas, you have a lot of experience, and you began with your college newspaper. And could you share some things about your education and your journey as a self-taught writer? I began with the simplest of projects, writing letters to the editor to the local newspaper while I was in college. Over time, I graduated to writing uh, articles for magazines, for uh, for newspapers also. But even when the—and remember, I started out way before the Internet was ever in existence. <laughs> of course. And once it was, I started writing for articles for blogs, for blog sites. And— my journey was one of was simply one of development through time. Mine is mostly experiential. I was blessed very much so by parents who taught me to love education, to love knowledge, not for what it would give me or what it would do for me, but simply for its own sake. And through that, I picked up on the English language. Now, you must understand that having one language rattling around inside my head is bad enough. If I were to ever try to learn a second language, it would be disastrous. But I do think I have a reasonable grasp of the English language, and I've used that to write increasingly more complex, more difficult more wide-ranging articles over time. And it's just simply been a, a matter of evolution. And I, and I imagine you're a reader. Oh, yes, very much so. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's part of the development of all writers, is, um, is being a reader. Oh, yes, a great deal of research is always required in order to write anything, from, from a letter to the editor to a, a science article to a novel. Heavy-duty research is always required. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes that can, that can take years. Uh, aside from military fiction, uh, you are also, I understand, exploring another genre. And would you tell us something about your ideas for putting a new spin on the zombie novel? Okay, I say this with a huge grin on my face. <laughs> I'm fascinated with the concept of zombies. Always have been. Television programs, movies that involve that genre have always garnered my attention. Now, I've always, and I'm presuming sanely, considered such a possibility uh, as pure fantasy. And admittedly, that disbelief existed solely because of the implausibility of what I call the animation, the reanimation factor, the returning from the dead. The conventional zombie storylines always insisted upon that. And that's the reason that I have looked upon it as pure fiction. 
However, I got to wondering, what if that particular factor were not actually required? Could zombies arise in a more uh, conventional or natural manner? Um, perhaps as a, a, a result of a known or even a new bacteria strain, for instance. Could they exist at all? And that's the premise of my story. I'm approaching the creation of a zombie apocalypse through a medically and biologically possible... Um, I guess I'd call it an evolution of existing bacteria such as the black plague or rabies. And I'm about halfway through with it now. And I'll, I'll, I'll have it, I'll have it published in just a couple of months. This is one, this is one project that grabbed me. Every so often one will, this one did. And I'm spending a great deal of time on it. Um, as an explanation, I'm a night owl. I do my very best work between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m., which is very convenient because I'm, I'm very seldom interrupted during that time. But this one, this one is so intriguing to me and has grabbed my attention so hard that I will finish it shortly. Well, well, like, like many writers, your, uh, your creativity is, is spinning and you're doing lots of different things. And, uh, I, I think that's, I think that's a good, a good thing for, uh, writers who might be listening to the podcast, you know, to understand that that you can be, you know, going in different directions, and and mm-hmm. if you've got an idea, just go with it. Oh yes. So um, I know that you you enjoy helping other writers. Yes. And uh, I wanted you to maybe expand on that and talk about being part of a writing community and. Uh, Give us some thoughts for writers and out there. I have always maintained that everybody has a story. Everybody has something worth writing about. Now, actually getting it down on paper is the simple part. But... From that point on, it gets a little more difficult because from that point, you have to you have to juggle it. You have to um, clean it up. You have to make sure that it's both uh, grammatically and from a voca- vocabulary standpoint correctly written. You have to polish it to the point that. You've created your own writing style. That's, I think, where most writers overlook that. They think that the initial step of getting something down on paper is the hard part. It really isn't. I have always enjoyed helping other other writers. I 
think I give relatively rational and helpful critiques. Um, I have been a member of three different writers' organizations over the years. I'm still a member of two here in Oklahoma City. And we all share the desire to lift new writers, to to help them get started, get involved, help them to develop. Uh, that's a wonderful feeling for me. Um, I don't know how else to, to put it. Well, I, I like the comment about finding, finding your own style. And um, who knows when that's, who knows when that happens? <laughs> but I suppose the writer knows when it does happen. Yes. And uh, so, so helping other writers find their voice and find their style is that's over and above correcting comments. Yes, it's it's a little bit past simple editing. Someone will come. Uh, a student might say, "Oh, I'm a terrible writer," and what they what they mean is um, maybe they don't know where to put the period in the right place. But they're they've got great ideas. They've mm-hmm. their their writing flows. And Simple they, inexperience right. is not a bad writer. No, no, absolutely not. And so I think that's a very encouraging note to end on. And I appreciate you being with us and coming down from Edmond to the Maker Lab here in Norman and doing this interview. Thanks well, thank a lot. Thank you for having Joe. me. Well, good luck with your all your series, the the zombies and, and the military fiction. And yes. uh, we'll be looking to hear from you. Thank you.